Good morning, guys. My name is Dan Dupuy. I'm the, the worship director here at Sunrise and the community life director. It's so good to be here to worship with you on this especially beautiful fall day. I think the, they said the high is going to be 73 today and the beautiful leaves out there. So yeah, got to get outside and enjoy God's creation today. So exciting day for Sunrise as we kind of start this new beginning. So we welcome Dennis Molsey, our new pastor. Exciting day today. But if we're, if I'm honest and if we're real, you guys are here for the donuts today, right? Those are your donuts out of the service. That's what I figured. So anyway, um, as we get started, I'd like to pray to um, get worship started. I just want you guys pray with me. Oh God, um, it is so good to be here together as a body, worshiping you, singing to you, hearing your word. And God, as this is a new beginning for Sunrise, we're so blessed to have a new pastor and to start this journey together. Um, pray that you would in this service today, meet us here, God, that we would be able to um, quiet the things in our minds of the week, the stresses of the week uh, that's past, or if there's anxiety of the week coming up upon us, for that we can just quiet that, that you would help us, um, our minds to be still, our hearts to be quiet as we engage with you this morning and sing and worship. May you receive our praise and all of the honor and glory, and Spirit, would you be here among us as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you guys stand with us as we sing together? I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. As you found me, you freed me. Held back from waters for my release, oh Yahweh. You're the God who fights for me. You love every victory. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea. You have led me through the deep. Hallelujah. by day is the sign that you are with me. The fire by night is the guiding light to my feet. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters from my release. Oh,
you stepped, cause you stepped into my Egypt, you took me by the hand, you marched me out in freedom, into the promised land, now I will not forget you God, I'll sing of all you've done, death is swallowed up forever, by the fury of your love, you stepped, you stepped into my God, I'll sing of all you've done. Death is swallowed up forever by the fury of your love. You're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! You have torn apart the sea, Lord. trust in Jesus and to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise and to know 
You're walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows why living is. He's acquainted with our grief. A man of sorrow, son of suffering. Oh, blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. It's hallelujah to the Son of Suffering. distant and removed, but you chased us down in merciful pursuit. The sinner you were graced, and the broken you embraced, and in the end the proof is in your wounds. Yes, in the end the proof is in your Oh, blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Yes, hallelujah to the Son of suffering. stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven, your blood is still speaking, your love is still reaching, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven, your cross is my freedom, your stripes my healing, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven, your blood is still speaking, your love still reaching, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God forever, it's glory to God forever. Yes, glory to God forever. Oh, yes, glory to God forever. Glory to God.
take a seat. Well, it has been a good day so far already, but I want to um, just welcome you once again, especially welcome to our guests who may be worshiping with us online today. Um, there will be some links that will drop in the comment section for you guys to click on, and um, all the announcements that I'm about to talk about will be in there. And for you guys here in the sanctuary with us, um, there are QR codes in the back of the chairs in front of you. You guys can scan that with your phone. That'll bring you right to our announcement page. And if you are visiting with us or if you are a guest with us for the first time today, I want to say a special welcome to you guys. That QR code as well will bring you to the top banner on our uh, announcement page that has a welcome for you guys. If you click on that, it'll bring you to just a couple questions that we can, um, we'd like to ask you guys. It's about your time here today. And if you would fill that out, but also meet us at the connect table at the end of the service. We have a pretty cool gift to give you guys. So make sure you make your way back there and we'll help answer any questions you may have about Sunrise. So under those announcements I was talking about. So first of all, we have a Thanksgiving food drive starting today. You may have noticed an extra table in the lobby with some bags on it. We're joining with um, Love Your Neighbor, our local mission partner. This food drive will provide Thanksgiving meals for undersourced families in Hudsonville, Jenison, and Granville. So grab one of those shopping bags. There is a list attached to each one of those, just, um, I think, seven or eight or nine items that you can buy at the grocery store. I think um, Julie said that she went out with Noah and they easily filled a bag for $15. So not a big deal. So please grab that um, bag on your way out and we'll be collecting those until November 13. Next, Sunrise students for those in grades 6 through 12. We have a special event coming up on October 26th. This week, this Wednesday, at Noah Matice's aunt's house. Um, So students, make sure you throw on your spookiest costumes. There will be some uh, uh, pumpkin carving, lots of candy to enjoy, and fun games. If you are not on Tanner's Sunrise Students email list, um, email him at Tanner at Sunrise Men, and you will get all the info about that night and directions to Noah's aunt's house. Lastly, we've had several people um, ask us about when our next partnership class is, what it means to be a partner. That is going to be on November 13th in a few weeks. So I know we had several families that asked us at the fall kickoff, um, what does it mean to be a partner? Um, how can I be a partner? We'll be talking at that time um, after church. We have, we'll start, we're still nailing down that time, so um, keep on those announcements, and we'll announce that here soon. But on the 13th, we will be talking about what it means to be a partner, what the history of Sunrise is. Um, we'll, you'll get to have a conversation with Dennis about his past as well, and you'll get to meet the staff. Going to that meeting does not force you to become a partner right then. It just is that first step in that process. So join us on the 13th if you're interested in what that looks like. That's all the announcements today. So if you forgot half of them, just scan that QR code. It's, it's all there for you guys. And we're going to take the next few minutes to stand up, greet one another. If it's been a minute since you've guys seen some people across the aisles, say hi to them. Grab some coffee if you like. And also this is our time for the little ones to head back to the lobby to meet Mrs. Julie and go to your special time. Let's talk. If you could make your way back to your seats. So my name is Dennis. And I'm your pastor. (laughs) So, (laughs) all right. Hey, all right, give it 30 minutes. You might not be so excited. Um. Matt, so just, just fair warning uh, this morning, when I have more than like four days to actually write a sermon, what happens is I just continue to pile on more information. 
Um, and so the last few weeks, right, so since we were last together and since the vote and, and all those things, uh, been really excited, been taking some rest, been chasing the Jenison marching band all over creation and watching my bonus girls swim and, uh, man, this is crazy. It's good to be home. Um, but I thought, what in the world am I going to talk about in that first week? And, and I thought, well, maybe just the whole thing. So you're reading the screen, right? Right. So the story of the whole world. And so today's text is Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Buckle up, and I hope you packed a lunch. Um, no, no, in, in, in all seriousness, as, as I started to think through what are some of the things that we need to be talking about or, or, or that need to sort of be guiding this journey to set the stage so that you have right expectations and so that, that my sort of goals are really, really clear. I thought, well, what, what, what do we talk about? And maybe, maybe one of the first things we should talk about when we're together is what is written down in your foundational documents, and that's Mission Principle 1. So when you read all the documents that were put together that this church has sort of uh, codified and, and sanctified as, as its guiding principles, the first thing in that document says this. It says, the Sunrise Ministries, we will be biblical. I'm not going to make you too many promises. I, I will disappoint you. I will say things because I have a very, I'm a large man with a very tiny verbal filter. I will say things that you'll be like, I don't know if that's right or that's a little bit offensive to me. Um, right? I will disappoint you, but here's one promise that, that I will make to the best of my ability with every ounce of, of energy and passion that I have is that as long as I'm here and we're here together, we will attempt to be biblical. We will attempt to be biblical and we will attempt to keep Jesus at the center. Those are the two things. The two things that kind of drive everything that I do. And here's, here's the crazy thing, you guys, is that I don't think that you can be biblical without keeping Jesus at the center. Quite often what we see is we see people that say, we're going to be biblical, and what they do is they take the Bible and they don't use it as a measuring stick or a plumb line, which is actually what the word canon means. They use it as a club to beat people over the head with. Can I get an amen? They superimpose what they actually believe the Bible says on top of the Bible for the sake of managing your behavior and my behavior. Can I get an amen? Right? They, don't, they say they believe what the Bible really says, but what they really do or what we really do so often is we make the Bible say what we already believe. No, my friends, here's the thing. We will be biblical in the sense that Jesus will be our north. We will be biblical in the sense that we will do our dead level best to figure out what exactly the Bible does say. What did it mean to those who first read it? And then what does it mean to us? Because we can't figure out what it means until we know what it meant. We'll be biblical and we'll keep Jesus at the center. Those are the promises that I make. 
but what in the world does it mean to actually be biblical in the first place. Now, now, if you're like me, you, you have people all of your life that talk about biblical stuff, right? There's biblical leadership, and there's biblical missions, and there's biblical marriage, and there's biblical this, or biblical theology, biblical understanding, all these kinds of things. And everybody talks about what it, what it means to be biblical, but most of the time, what that means is they found a verse that they can rip out of context and actually attach to something that they, they believe already. Can I get a witness? Right? Right? So today, we're going to actually start to begin to unpack a brief theology of what does it mean to be biblical, and then how does that prompt us to keep Jesus at the center of who we are and all that we do. The first passage we're going to look at today, so we're sort of, kind of sort of parachute into the middle, and then we'll, we'll actually do the whole Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 thing here in just a second. But the first passage today uh, comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where the Apostle Paul is writing to his uh, young apprentice, Timothy, who he has sent to the church of Ephesus in order to put things right. The church of Ephesus is, well, to put it kindly, is a mess. And Paul has sent Timothy there to situate some things to a point elders, to make sure that the leadership structure is right, to set um, uh, parameters for worship, and as he is sort of uh, uh, in the midst of this conversation, sort of closing down this conversation, he urges Timothy to do a few things, to do the work that a minister does, and in this, he makes this, this, this uh, statement. He says, Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. Hold on to that, we'll be back to it in a second. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Being biblical means that we understand that the Bible... Yes, it is an ancient document. Yes, it is a complex document. Yes, there were human authors. Yes, it was delivered into cultural context that we must be aware of. But the Bible, at its foundation, is God's message to humanity. That it is, according to the Apostle Paul, God-breathed. A Greek term that he actually sort of invented for this particular statement. It's, it, it's a term that appears nowhere else in the New Testament. Theopnestos is the, is the Greek term. And he says that because of this God-breathedness of the Scripture, that it's good for all kinds of things. It's good for instructing us when we're ignorant. It's good for correcting us when we're wrong. It's good for, for rebuking us when we're in disobedience. And it's good for training us to walk in the way of Jesus. And it's all of these things because it is God-breathed. Now, now here, I, I want us to understand is that the Apostle Paul is, is making a theological assertion here, and he's actually rooting it in a reality that was known to all of the Jewish folks that he was actually writing this to, right? Timothy, who had been trained in the Scriptures, right? He would have known exactly what Paul was, was making the connection to because this isn't the first time that we've heard in the Scriptures that God breathes into something and it becomes alive, you see, I think the Apostle Paul is making a clear theological connection back to Genesis 1 during the creation of all things. And in this sense, when he's saying that the Scripture is God-breathed and is useful, I think this is what he's doing. He is saying, Timothy, the Scriptures are as distinct from other pieces of literature. It is 
piece of literature, but the scriptures are as distinct from other pieces of literature as humans are from other animals. Because, my friend, what is it that sets humans apart? Is it the fact that we have a nervous system or a brain or a circulatory system? Is it any of those things? Not necessarily, but there is something specifically entrusted to humans, the imago Dei that has awakened us and we carry the image of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. So what makes something biblical? Well, I, I think that there are, there are three things. So there, there are three points that I'm going to make this morning. Uh, not because I'm a three-point preacher, but because that was honestly all I could come up with. Um, no, I think there are three things that are important for us to consider this morning. So I'm going to give you three things, and I'm going to tell you a story. To say that something is biblical, uh, there are three things that must take place. If we are going to have a biblical theology or a biblical church or if we are going to make biblical decisions, the first thing that we have to do and we have to understand is that something can't be biblical unless the text is handled correctly. Unless we understand that this ancient gift that we have been given, the scriptures, they're there not so that we can worship them, but they're a gift that's meant to show us the love of the giver. So we must, we must handle them literarily. We must read them the way they're supposed to be read. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in weeks to come. We must understand that they were delivered into a historical and a cultural context that the worlds that surrounded them crafted them in such a way. In, in God's infinite wisdom, he spoke to Moses in Moses' day and in Moses' way. And he spoke to David in David's day and in David's way. And because of the inspiration of the Spirit, because of the God-breathedness of the Spirit, if we will handle the Scriptures the way they're supposed to be handled, reading case law as case law, reading prophecy as prophecy, reading poems as poem, reading stories as stories, if we will understand their historical context, not only does he have things to say to them back then, he has things to say to us as well. But two more important things that, that often we don't think about. The third thing, and this is what we're going to be talking a little bit more about at the, at the end of, of today's message, is that we must understand the Scriptures narratively. We must understand that the Bible is more than anything else. It is a story that's meant to tell us the love of the Father for His wayward fallen creation. And we must understand them practically. Can I say this out loud? Actually, I'm not even asking permission. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say this out loud. If a passage doesn't work in the real world, it doesn't work. If your theology, if what you believe about a particular passage of Scripture doesn't work in the real world, it doesn't work. We handle the text correctly. The second thing about being biblical is that we strive to get to the deep literal. Now, 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 what I mean by this is that we discover what the text meant before we say what it means. I've got a few pet peeves. Um, and one of those pet peeves, um, actually, yeah, there's several, but one of those pet peeves is when people will say things like, well, this, th this text means to me. 
Now, that's super important, right? And, and, and we, we need to have personal application uh, for what the Scripture means. But so often what we do is we jump past what the Scripture has meant to say, well, this is what it means to me, or this is the difference that it's making in my life. When we get to the deep literal, we understand that the story that the Bible is telling is telling us important things, and it's, te- and it's telling us always, it's telling us something about God, or about His creation, or about humanity, about sin, about redemption, about the church's mission, or about the everlasting hope that we have in Jesus. When we engage the scriptures at a deep literal fashion, we understand that they are dynamic and not static. It's not just that we're looking regressively back to determine what was said, but we're inviting the Spirit of God to come and to use the active and living Scriptures in us to change us, to be more conformed to the image of Jesus, the Son. For something to be biblical, we need to handle the text correctly. We need to get to the deep literal. But those things will sometimes take care of themselves if we simply will approach the Scripture with a foundational knowledge and understanding of the story that the Bible is trying to tell. Have you ever thought about this? You ever thought about the Bible as a story? Okay, true confession time. How many of you have ever tried to read the Bible through in a year? All right. How many of you have failed miserably in that attempt? Okay, now let's be honest. What happened? You got to Leviticus. <laughs> right? You got this story, right? You're reading this story, and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is a page turner, right? Until you got to Leviticus, and you're like, I, what, shellfish, wait, what? I mean, come on. Endless shrimp is the best thing Red Lobster has going for it. No, we, 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 we come to the Bible and we read it, and again, because we don't understand how it's situated and how it's put together, and we don't understand that the Bible is actually telling us a story, and we don't understand the different genres, we, we come and when we, we, we come up against this ancient case law, we stop and we, wait, what happened? Who moved my cheese? Something has changed. Well, the genre has changed, but there's no alert in the Bible that the genre has changed, right? There should be a little page that says, warning, you are now leaving the narrative of the Bible and are entering ancient case law. It's important, but you won't understand a lot of it. No, see, see, to understand the Scriptures, right, to, for, for us to be biblical, we need to actually start our conversations, we need to start our investigation exactly in the same place that the Apostle Paul started his admonition to Timothy. The Scripture is God-breathed. See, what does Paul do? He starts the story not in the middle. He starts the story when he's talking about the high value that Timothy needs to place on the Scriptures. Not with Timothy, not with Ephesus, but he talks about the beginning of the story. He takes him back with this theological anchor and reminds Timothy that the first movement of this story is creation. You see, the Bible is a story that 
that can be told with six words. Six words can tell the entire story of the Bible, can communicate the the story of God's creative genius and love, can talk about humanity's sin and desertion, can, can articulate the story of God's pursuit and relentless grace, can, can show for us and expose the story of incarnation, resurrection, and reconciliation through Christ, that can communicate the story of the mission and the purpose of the church, and can communicate and outline the blessed hope and life and fulfillment that comes when you and I embrace the resurrection power found only in Jesus. What story is the Bible telling? Word number one is creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the, uh, the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The story begins as God amongst the community of the Holy Trinity says, let us make man in our image. Let us create. There was a decision, not by humanity, but by God himself. And Genesis 1 and 2 tells us of a God whose creative genius spoke everything that we see into existence. God spoke, and it was, and it was good. Then God spoke, and it was, and it was good. God is the God that Genesis 1 tells us. God is the God of other gods. There is no Egyptian God in the pantheon. There is no Sumerian deity that is greater than God. It begins not in the place that the other creation myths begin in with multiple gods fighting amongst themselves, uh, uh, warring and battling and defeating and having uh, created things arise out of the bodies of dead gods, but it begins with the one true God who looked and said and spoke, and it was creation ex nihilo from the God of gods. It tells a story of a God who stooped to make humans. Have you ever thought about this? In the story that the Bible tells, it says that God spoke and it was good and God spoke and it was and God spoke and it was and he created all of these things. But when it came time to make humanity, to make his image bearers, to make those that he would place in that garden to be the stewards of all of creation, God didn't speak. He stooped. That he came down. That he lovingly crafted with his hands Adam and made Eve out of Adam. This is the story that the, that the Bible is telling. And that when he made humans, he breathed into them the breath of life more than the animals that were around him. But his image bearers that he placed in a garden that he had made for them and said and gave them this mandate. I'm making this garden. You see, this is how the world is supposed to be. Everything is at peace. Everything is functioning the way it ought to function. Everything is staying in its lane. And now, Adam and Eve, this is your job. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. In essence, what he is saying is that there is peace in the garden here, but there is wild out there. And the job of humans is to take the peace of the garden to the wild of all creation. God spoke and it was. God stooped and he created us and he gave us this task to make what he had made to take that out into the wild. But before the story could really even get going, the wild invaded the garden. The serpent came to where Adam and Eve was, and humans 
through deceit and decision, decided to take the one thing that God had said, this is mine and mine alone. Friends, that's essentially what sin is. We oftentimes think of sin as, well, we're misbehaving, we're doing the wrong thing. No, we sin when we take those things that God has said, this is mine. When we pretend to be gods in our own world. And after Adam and Eve had, had, had sinned, after they had been, been awakened through the eating of the fruit... We see the clear illustration of what had been broken by the fall. And and the scripture says this. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. This is Adam talking to the Almighty. And so I hid and he said, who told you, this is God, who told you you were naked. You have eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from. Disobedience and deception, friends, in the fall had ruptured relationship. Humans became at odds with the God who created them and who loved them and who gave them this garden and who gave them the mandate to take the peace and the reality of the garden out into the wild. They became at odds with each other because as God confronts them, what do we see them doing? She did it. The servant did it. Everybody starts blaming everybody else. Boy, okay, not to get too personal, but uh, you ever been there? We were at odds with God, and we are now at odds with each other. But more than that, we're at odds with the world, the garden that God had planted, where everything was situated just the way it was supposed to be. Things are now getting out of hand. The wild has now invaded the garden, and the exact opposite thing that God wanted has now happened. Sin and disorder, the lack of peace and shalom has invaded God's peaceful place. So their relationship with God is broken. Their relationship with each other is broken. Their relationship with the world is broken. But more than that, their relationship with themselves is broken. They cannot even see themselves as they truly are. And this, my friends, is the way that the fall and sin has affected everything. So much so that the story that the Scripture continues to tell is not of a creation that has fallen and then sort of stays statically in that fallen state. But the story that the Old Testament continues to press and to pursue is that the fallen keep on falling. Adam and Eve, they hid from God and blamed each other. Cain was jealous of his brother and so he killed him. Those in Noah's day were so bent upon evil that he was the only righteous person that God could find. The Tower of Babel builders had used the divine gift of image bearing to do what? Honor God? No, to honor themselves and to build, uh, to build a tower to their own genius. And on and on and on it goes. And we still find ourselves in this fallen state. But the turn happens almost imperceptibly unless we understand the story that the Bible is telling. Because, the lower the sto- because when the lower story, the story on earth, continues to get more and more dire, the upper story that's told in the Scripture continues to get more and more busy making promises and giving hope. 
Many of you have probably heard the story of the Scriptures told in that familiar sort of four-movement fashion, creation, fall, rescue, consummation. But I believe that when we, we don't put in this next movement, the movement of promise, we miss almost all of what the Old Testament is trying to say. Because the Old Testament, friends, yes, is talking about how the fallen keep falling, but more than that, it talks about how God keeps coming. That the further and the faster that humans run, God runs further and faster toward them. And one of those key promises is found in Genesis 12, where the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to a land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and, you, uh, and may, will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God keeps coming in the garden when Adam and Eve had hidden, and when God finally even had had to give them judgment. There's a promise that he specifically makes to Eve, and the promise he makes to Eve is, yes, your offspring, your son, who will ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus, the serpent will strike at his heel, but that will be a nuisance compared to the death blow that your son will deal to the one who has deceived you and led you into the fall. To Noah, he comes and he says, the scripture literally says, when Noah found favor, that Hebrew word there is grace. Noah wasn't a perfect person. He was someone to whom God had extended grace, my friends. Hallelujah for people like me. You see, the reality is that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah wasn't perfect, but God came to him. God kept coming. He came to Adam and Eve in the garden. He's the one that came to Cain. And actually, the, 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 the curse of Cain was actually a blessing. He came to Noah, and Noah found grace. In this passage, he comes to Abram and says, I got a deal for you. I'm going to make you a great nation, but not for the sake of making your name great, but for the sake of blessing the world through you and making my name great. He met Moses and the children of Israel at Sinai, and he promised to them that they would be his people. He met David and told him that one of his sons would sit on the throne forever. And time and time and time again, the further and the faster that human beings ran from God, he kept coming and eventually... My friends, he chased us down when this little girl was visited by an angel by the name of Gabriel. And he told her that you're going to be blessed. You're going to be the one. And she, in one of the most courageous acts ever in human history, she said, let everything that you're saying be so in me. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll suffer ridicule. I'll suffer scorn. I'll suffer the sideways glances. But all the promises that God had been making, everything that he had been saying, he stoops again in the second person of the Trinity as Jesus Christ takes on flesh and becomes human for us. But after he had considered all of this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from 
their sins. My friends, get this. Jesus was never plan B. And he was always the truer and the better. All of the promises pointed to him. The temple and the tabernacle pointed to him. The high priest pointed to him. The sacrifices pointed to him. The rules and the regulations pointed to him. Jesus didn't come to throw away all of the law and the prophets. He came and said, I am here. If you think about it, the children of Israel, they were so... The, the, the temple and the tabernacle represented God's presence with them. Again, it represented a God that stoops. He stooped in creation. He comes running after his people. The temple and the tabernacle represent God's presence, but what they communicate is this. God is here and God is holy. You are there. You are sinful. Stay away. But when Jesus shows up, when the rescue comes, Jesus makes an announcement that sounds very similar but turns Everything upside down. For when Jesus shows up, the announcement is this. God is here and God is holy. And every time he touched a sinner, every time he forgave sins, every time he, he stood in harm's way for someone who was being judged by the religious elite, every time he touched someone that needed healing, he was reminding us that we live in this fallen state. God is here and God is holy. You are there and you are sinful. But this time it wasn't stay away. It was I am the way. Come to me and find life. You see, God was was not contented to allow us to wallow in our sinful state, but he came running and he showed up through the person of Jesus Christ. Creation, fall, rescue, and now mission. Just as God didn't call Abram for his own sake, he does not call us for ours. He calls us and sends us on a mission to tell his story. Acts chapter uh, 1 verse 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He has given us this opportunity, friends, to be biblical. And how do we do that? Well, we tell his story. Somebody else's salvation is not our, our responsibility. We're not responsible to make converts. We're not really even responsible to make disciples in the sense that we're going to bring them from life to death, right? We're midwives. We catch the baby. You see, every time someone is pregnant, it's through the will. Every time someone is born, it's through the will of someone else, right? We're on mission to tell his story, his story of life and his story of love, his story of hope, his story of grace. And we're here to live his story just as God stooped. My friends, I think this is where we in the church have really missed it. God doesn't call us to sit in ivory towers or to separate ourselves from sinners. He calls us to stoop in the dirt, to incarnate the work and the will of the Savior, to hang out with people who need his love and his life. 
You see, sin is still a reality, and in this world we have trouble. But the message of Jesus isn't that he will keep you from all trouble, but that there's hope in the midst of all of this. You see, we tell this story, and just as the, those who were, were communicating the promise, they pointed toward a blessed hope that was ultimately to come in Jesus. We stand with fingers pointed in both directions, and we say, let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. And who he is and what he's done. But let me tell you, he's coming back. That all these things, all this trouble, all this sin, that we live in the already not yet of the kingdom. But that one day, there is a restoration, there is a consummation that is coming. Friends, when when terrible things happen, our human nature is to ask the question of why. And the hard part for people like me who find ourselves in, the, in, in this pastoral space is that oftentimes there isn't a, an answer for the question of why. But you know what there is an answer for? The question of is there hope? There's hope. No matter what we face. No matter what hard journey that we're walking through. For John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and we will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things is passed away. Creation, fall, promise, rescue, mission, consummation. Every passage of the scripture, my friends, tells at least one part of this story, either directly or by inference. But here's the crazy thing. It's not just the story of the scriptures. It's the story of the whole world. It's the story that we all live. Golly, it's been about 10 years ago now. Um, this was a prototype that my buddy and Sam and I did uh, when we were both working at Our Daily Bread. And um, we started with this, with this rough piece of, of, of wood sort of symbolizing the cross and, and, and the fact that Jesus would come and hang on the cross for us, and, and we, we did this time-lapse video, and what Sam would do is he would record himself drawing all of this, and then I would do the voiceover. Um, it, it didn't get very far because evidently I don't have a voice for radio. I've got a face for radio, not a voice for radio, um, <laughs> right? But telling this story of the whole world, and this is, this is sort of what we noticed, is that it, this is just isn't, my friends, the story that the Scriptures tell. This is the story that we live, isn't it? Because each and every day of our lives, we live in this already, not yet. And there are times, like we go out and we go on a color tour and we realize that, man, God's beautiful creation, that, that there is still his imprints all over the place. But, but when you're going through seasons, seasons like we're walking through right now, we, um, we find ourselves, and many of us are in this space, right, where we find ourselves walking through the valley of the shadow of death and we're reminded that separation has either happened or it's imminent and that that's because of sin, but that Jesus has come and he has given us hope. In one of the most amazing twists in all of human history, my friends, Jesus writes a better story 
And he defeats death not by avoiding it, but by surrendering to it and overcoming it. And that is what we have. Not a story of avoidance, but a story of surrender and overcoming. So as the worship team comes this morning, the the invitation, I suppose, today is to be biblical. But not to be biblical in a sense that we look up verses in order to beat other people over the head with them, but to be biblical in the sense that we realize that the Scripture itself is telling a story that we have the opportunity to live each and every day of our lives. To take that invitation not to be a person who stands far off from those who need God's redemptive love and care, but to be a person who, like the Father, who, like the Son, and who, like the Spirit who lives in each and every one of us, has stooped and descended (laughs) to be with and among and to redeem His creation. There is not a person under the sound of my voice, folks, that does not find themselves in the same place that Adam and Eve and Cain and Noah and Abram found. We have been, are, or once were far off, but God came running. He came running because just as He loves those saints of old, He loves us. And has given us a task. A task of not running away from the dirty. And the sinful. And the reproachful. But running toward them. With his love. And with his grace. So that he. Might transform them into his image. We're going to continue in worship and singing together. And as we do this song, as we sing the song, um, you may give over your tithes and offerings during this time. The, there's a bucket between the doors in the back. Um, you can do that during the song or after even. And there are QR codes up front that will bring you to the page, like I said earlier, the announcement page that has a, a link for giving. So as we give um, to this church, We do so to spread God's grace and love. So let's worship together. And over every heart 
There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. On the cross, the work was finished. God, you poured out your life just to give us new life. Now from the lips of the forgiven, here an anthem arise Is Jesus your life? Oh, you reign above it all You reign above it all Over the universe And over every heart There is no higher name Jesus, you reign above it all Let all of heaven to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated above in glory, enthroned in the highest praise. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated above in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated above in glory on the highest praise you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave now seated above in glory and thrown down the highest praise you reign above it all you reign above it all over the universe and over every heart there is no Above it all, let all of heaven and 
receive these words from Jude. It says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. So as you go from this place, might you tell his story? Might you stoop as he has with courage to touch the blind and the broken, the oppressed and the needy. For in his kingdom, it is no longer the unclean that infects the clean. It is the clean that redeems the unclean. So go. And take ground for his kingdom. Through the power of his spirit. Extending his grace and love. To transform the world. In the mighty and the powerful. In the name of Jesus. Go in his peace.